0: My name is Stuart Purvis, and I'm going to be chairing this very first session of CMC 2018. Uh, before we start, I should mention the sponsor for this session, which is actually the Children's Media Foundation itself. The CMF is an uh, advocacy body for the children's audience. It campaigns, it lobbies in Parliament. It builds the connections, really, between the policymakers, the regulators, and the academics and the media industry. And one of their principal aims is to inform and improve the public conversation around children and media. One of the ways they do that is to publish the Children's Media Yearbook. You'll have got a copy of that free in your pack, uh, and it's a good read. It says here, they asked me to stress that their only source of income is donations from individuals and from companies. So if you think you could become a supporter for only £25 a year, they would welcome you with open arms. Right, now this question time you see is entitled, uh, What Next for UK Kids?, we already have underway developments as a result of the tax break, the Digital Economy Act, the Amendments in the Children's Act, uh, and, of course, from 2019, the so-called Contestable Fund. All that against a very shifting media landscape, so what next seems to be absolutely the right question. Thank you to those delegates who have already sent in your questions. We've assembled, I think, a fine panel to answer them. Uh, from my nearest side, we have Magnus Brooke from ITV. We have Anna Hone from the Children's Media Foundation, we've got Simon Terrington from Ofcom, Charles Lauder from the Indie Club, uh, and Ben Roberts from the BFI. Uh, full uh, titles, pack drills, and other biographies are available in your packs. Uh, I should explain that the deputy leader of the, uh, the Labour Party, Tom Watson, did accept an invitation some time back, was due here today, but contacted the organisers just yesterday to give his apologies. He has sent a a fairly full message, a a printed message. It will appear, if it hasn't already, in your session page. Uh, I do commend it to you if you want to hear uh, the Labour Party's view on a number of things that we'll be discussing today. Now, during uh, the next hour, the usual Children's Media Foundation Conference rules apply. Uh, There should be no gouging, certainly no Uh, (laughs) headbutting. VAR is available. But please keep it short, my my colleagues here on the platform. There's quite a lot of stuff to get through. And if you really don't have a strong view on a particular issue, you are allowed to duck out. Um, As the chair of the panel, I would normally offer some, some grand opening thoughts. But you and I will be spared that, because we actually have something rather better the view from government expressed in, I think, a handy and snappy form, which is not something we can always count on. Um, Margot James is the Minister for Digital and the Creative Industries. Uh, her responsibilities, reporting to the Secretary of State, Man- Matt Hancock, range uh, quite widely and include broadcasting and online safety. She has sent us this video message, so let's have a look at that first If we can roll that tape.
1: I'm really sorry I can't be with you today at the children's media conference in this digital world the protection of children and the provision of children's content is a priority for the government as we set out in our recently published internet safety strategy green paper the government is clear that abusive and threatening behavior online is totally unacceptable more needs to be done to protect children from a range of online harms. We're investigating potential areas where the government could legislate, including a social media code of practice, transparency reporting, and online advertising. We will also continue to ensure that comprehensive online safety education is available to all children, as well as considering how we can best support parents in tackling internet issues. Digital technology is overwhelmingly a force for good across the world, Yet we do have to address the Wild West element of the internet in a way that champions innovation while supporting change for the better. In terms of television and the provision of children's content, we're in the process of designing a contestable fund with the BFI who will administer it. The fund is designed to stimulate the provision and plurality of children's content. We expect the first funds to be available from April 2019 until 2022, and we will publish a policy paper setting out the final details of the fund later this year. The Contestable Fund is just one part of a broader government effort to stimulate the children's TV market, following on from the extension of tax relief for animation and high-end TV programmes to UK children's programmes in 2015. Additionally, the Digital Economy Act gave Ofcom the power to set criteria for the provision of children's programming and, if appropriate, set content quotas on the commercial public service broadcasters. This might mean setting out what quantity, type or range of children's content Ofcom thinks is appropriate to meet audience needs and be in line with Parliament's expectations of public service broadcasting. Ofcom is currently reviewing children's content on TV, on-demand and streaming services and will publish its findings in due course. These measures should work together to combat the decline in the creation of UK-originated children's content and have a real impact on the quality of children's media. Our children deserve to have access to world-class UK originated content and to be able to watch this in an environment in which they're protected. I believe we're making good progress, but I'm always looking to do more in this area. Your conference helps focus our minds on the task at hand, and I very much look forward to hearing the outcome of today's discussions.
0: Right, Margot James, the Minister for Digital and Creative Industries. I think in the next hour, we're going to try and cover pretty much most of the topics she, dis- she mentioned. So along the way, please respond particularly. I am sure some of you will respond to some of the things that were said there uh, as we go through these issues. But let's get to the first question. Uh, the first questioner, please let us, hear their, let us hear their question.
2: My question was, how realistic do you think um, the EU... Uh, British content qualifying as EU quota will be in a per- post-Brexit world? How likely do you think that will be? Out of ten, probably be good, okay. good one. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: probably, Emily, we should try... There are, as, as I understand, there are basically three issues. One about this so-called country of origin rule. There's one about access to funds. There's also, I think, within the industry, issues about access to talent, meaning access to people from the EU who currently work and may in the future want to work here. Uh, I know Ofcom has taken quite a... Well, hard line would probably not be appropriate for an independent regulator, but in terms of what this asked the government to do on this country of origin, Simon, do you, from, with this audience in mind, what of all the regulatory stuff do you think has an impact on, on, on people in this industry? So, I mean... And, it, and then to Emily's question, is it realistic to
3: think you can still be in this European club and get the benefits of that? So I guess thing one is, it's lovely to be here, thank you for inviting me, this is all fun. Uh, The second thing I would say is, so obviously Brexit and many of the issues around it are a matter for government and we are non-political, so we don't really have a view on that in general. What we would observe is that the UK has a thriving, uh, diverse, vibrant media market, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, The country of origin principle, which basically says uh, uh, channels can be regulated uh, in this country, but then broadcast to other European countries. So, in a sense, as a kind of European market in broadcasting. I think that has contributed... That is really helpful. It's really contributed to that kind of vibrant uh, nature. And, for instance, and this is just a scenario, but in a scenario where broadcasters are, would be moving, moving overseas, uh, as a consequence, it's kind of further to travel to commissioners, you know, if they're in Amsterdam. These are broadcasters, I mean, international broadcasters, who, for a number
0: of reasons, have chosen to be based in the UK, who, if, the, if, the, if this wasn't counted in the future, would move to places could. like Amsterdam? Certainly Very could. Good. Certainly put a potential. And though. therefore, if
3: you're pitching to them, you're going to have to go and probably pitch them somewhere else rather than London, is that, is that it? Yeah, so we think this does contribute <coughs> to the vibrant market the UK has, and we think that's, that's a positive. But we realise it's a complex negotiation with many factors in play. Sure.
0: Now, now Magnus, I think you, you have a thought on, on another impact, potential impact of, of this country of origin rule?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I, I think your question's about... It, it sounds as though it's about content. In other words, to what extent will, will UK content continue to qualify as European works, which is, uh, from our point of view as a producer as well as a broadcaster, is obviously a fundamentally important point. I, have to, I think the news there is probably slightly Better than potentially on channels, uh, in the sense that the convention on transfrontier television, which we're a party of, which uh, uh, the dust is being blown off uh, collectively in the UK, means that uh, effectively work that we make in the UK will be deemed to be European work uh, by virtue of the interaction between the convention and the and and the AVMS directive. So actually, I think. Unless the unless Europe chooses to change the AVMS directive, and we've just gone through a process of changing that already, unless unless they throw that into the negotiation, which is unlikely, I think, because uh, there are a number of other countries that are signatories to the convention. So uh, my sense is, on your out of ten, I'd probably say eight or nine uh, that will ca- we'll carry on making European works, and it does matter for UK producers that that's the case because we know, in terms of our content sales, uh, that a number of our buyers in continental Europe, particularly in France, but elsewhere. Uh, want to buy work, which goes, to the, uh, goes towards the quota, uh, and I have to say we 're reasonably optimistic now, um, by virtue of these mechanisms outside of the Brexit negotiation, that will continue, but it is a negotiation, potentially everything 's on the table, so we 're certainly not complacent about it,
0: Okay. on this issue of access to funding, and I know this is of particular interest for the animation industry, which has you know, in, in a number of times vast applied for and got european funding, and I know they 're going to discuss that at a session here this afternoon in, in showroom three. Um, but is it realistic? I don't know whether uh, Charles, for instance, has a view on what, what the impact on producers would be
5: if you were not able to access EU funds in future. I mean, I th- first and foremost, thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Um, uh, childrens are ahead ag- again. This is the first invitation to be represented on a panel. So thank you for that. Um, I think anything that makes it more difficult for producers to get ideas and programs off the ground is something that would be concerning. But for me, I would look at it and say this is one of those instances where most of the people in the industry would probably be coming from the same place, and therefore it's a chance for us to have a unified voice in a way that perhaps we wouldn't normally. The reality is I I suspect that this won't have been the first agenda item at Chequers. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be engaging in, in uh, jointly raising our voices to, to make the point about where we're at. And I think, as I said, the idea that you might have to just travel more alone would, would add massively to your budget in order to present, to present your ideas and persuade others to, to come on board. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a question of lobbying and, and staying in the game in terms of the conversation and all of us being in the same conversation. There does seem to be a lot of lobbying going on. I actually heard Margot James speak about
0: this uh, last week, and she certainly was trying to give the impression, we hear what the industry is saying, we, we, we hear the lobby, uh, we'll try and do a deal, but we're not going to tell you what it is because that might give away our hand. I think that kind of applies to much of the Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps on a show of hands, are there people here, uh, particularly obviously producers, who are concerned about access to, to talent and access to, to EU funding that might have an impact on you? Um, hands going up there. Anyone? Um, I mean, perhaps um, Emily y- yourself. Is it something that directly impacts you?
2: Uh, it's just something I've observed. I, I'm obviously based in the London industry, but um, I come from Ireland, so I've seen discussions on the Irish side about how uh, how this can all land. Uh, I work okay. for Disney, who we've obviously a content creator and a broadcaster, so got considerations across the whole spectrum.
0: Okay. Is there anybody sitting near you who had their hand up there? Can I just? Anyone around there who, who who feels potentially impacted by this? Yeah, sure. Well, we. You
3: say um, who you are and Where you're uh, from? Sorry, my name's Dominic Menz. I'm from Plugin Media in Brighton. Yeah. And uh, we had a European grant to make a game that 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 we that that grant system is going to be no longer available to us. And and um, it was a very experimental projects, so not the sort of thing that that, that a commercial you know a commercial body would would immediately get behind and also you know our most talented character artist is is from Bul- in the studios from Bulgaria so if, I mean of course yeah yeah we're very concerned about talent and it's a shame to see all that support go from 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 Europe yeah for okay. sure.
0: of course as I understand the in the transition period some of this will continue and as I say I think the government's position is that uh, the Prime Minister has said she might still be prepared to contribute to some of these funds in order to get the money out, even though if we're not in the EU, we have less influence. That's quite an interesting position to be in. We'll we'll see if it works out that way. Can anyone else on the panel want to offer a thought on Ben?
6: Well, my my observation from um, our conversations on the film side are that we're going to really have to make the case for, for the economic value of those funds. So what government wants to see is, to your point, what's going in, what's coming out. So the, 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 the work that needs to be done is <coughs> is measuring the value for money. And then I think we're finding that those those cases can be made. Um, we've been able to protect our position in um, the Creative Europe funds through its... Current life and then everything 's on the which is two thousand twenty and then everything 's on the table after that, but I think that <clears throat> the tone of the tone of government is also very much don 't ask don 't ask us to just hold on to what you had, mm. which is um, which is an invitation to be uh, ambitious as well I think you know what what new money is there out there Um, asking us to look beyond Europe which is challenging because I think so much of our our kind of core businesses with Europe but asking us to sort of not just think about Europe but think about uh, developing markets and the rest of the world so I, th- I think the, m- my recommendation to everybody who has an opportunity to sort of feed into those conversations is definitely to sort of not fall on to, we need it because we've always had it, because I think, th- I th- I think that argument is not yeah. mm, the argument that anyone wants to hear in government.
0: Okay, thanks very much. I think we should probably move on now to our second question, which I think, microphones at the ready. Uh, Kath Shackleton, is Kath
5: about? morning. Hello. Hi, Kath. The Writers Guild survey showed that while there's a dearth of women writers commissioned,
2: children seems to be slightly better in terms of gender equality. Is this true? And is it true in other disciplines across the sector?
0: Thank you, Kath. I think uh, one headline figure I saw from the report: 34% of all children's TV credits go to female writers. That compares to 28% for non-children's TV. But the percentage of programmes predominantly written by women declines throughout the day. In other words, if you're writing for the morning or the afternoon, you're you're more likely to be a woman, Uh, and if you're writing for a programme with a bigger budget, you're more likely to be a man. Um, Anna, do you want to comment on the Writers Guild report?
2: Um, Twas ever thus. Um, (laughs) um, As the token woman on on this platform. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Not token, I would add. (laughs) <laughs> um, but obviously it is, it is a serious issue. Um, but I'm not sure that it's as simple as just a, um, a gender bias in either direction. I think all sorts of other things come into it, and I think um, it's also a question of um, how commissioners think about the way they commission, and I think it's also to do with um, safety in familiarity. Um, so it's, it's easier um, and probably safer to go with an, a known writer. Um, and if it happens to be a man, so be it. And I think this is dangerous, very dangerous, because I think it blocks um, people coming, new writing coming in, experimental writing coming in, from either gender, really. So I think it is, it is, it is better than it was, I think. Um, and certainly the children's television world. Um, if you're writing for children, you're writing for children. You're going to be, I'm afraid, your, your transmissions will be during the day and, and in the early evening. And that's just a fact of life. But there is a huge scope now. And, and I think there, is many, there are many more outlets for writers, for female writers. And I just think go, go on, get in there, and you can do it, and you can. So. Please do it.
0: Uh, Anna, we, we, diversity is obviously an issue that broadcasters talk about, but look at, look at it from the issue of ethnicity, yep. uh, gender. There does seem to be more uh, scrutiny of, of gender <coughs> issues in the media, but a lot, sometimes there are targets attached to this. I mean, is there any role for, for such targets in your mind in, in this area?
2: Well, I think probably targets are a necessary discipline. But I don't think, I, I don't like being prescriptive in, in general. And I think the danger about targets is that you do it for the sake of doing it, rather, looking, rather than looking at the quality of the person or the, the quality of the writing or the quality of the idea. So I think you've got to keep a balance um, the, within the children's area. I mean, it was always predominantly women in terms of, of production mm-hmm. um, and the blokes felt. Discriminated against. Um, I think the balance is much, much more even now, but no, it is it is very hard, and certainly in terms of diversity, ethnicity, um, there's a lot that needs to be done. Okay. Charles, do you want to come up yeah. on that?
5: In 2015, I think it was, McKinsey did a report um, where they looked at the top quartile of performing companies and discovered that. greater performance came from those companies that were gender diverse. 35% better performance than their contemporaries came from the ones that were ethnically diverse. It's scary to think that that's out there and we're still having to have this conversation. And I think that the fact that childrens are ahead is something to be applauded, but actually to be seen as only a way in. Shane Allen, I think it was, said... um, We're excited by the voices we haven't heard. Uh, We're excited by the stories that have not yet been told. Uh, As a controller of comedy, you're going to see more and more diversity in all areas as we break new ground. It seems to me that kind of sentiment should be part of the performance review of anybody who has a senior post within public service broadcasting. Because I think the diversity thing is a leadership issue. Mm. I was at a, an RTS event um, just a couple of weeks ago, where uh, it was kind of in honour of um, Free Rain. I don't know which, uh, how many of you have seen that. Um, made by Netflix and Lime Productions. Uh, fantastic high quality in terms of output, performances, uh, production values. And the vast majority of the people who are in the senior positions on that programme, including the commissioner, I have to say, um, was in that room saying how wonderful it was that they were mainly women and that it was great to have more women writers, producers and executives. It's, it's about time. It's way past time, actually.
0: Well, I suppose the question is w- what, uh, what specific steps could be taken to improve the situation? Now, Project Diamond is, is underway. Which again probably arose originally from an ethnicity issue, but it does cover a range of uh, diversity issues. And I have to say, the first report which is out, which is not wildly encouraging to be honest, has got all sorts of startup problems, all sorts of data processing problems, but actually, effectively, it doesn't really say anything. Um, I mean, it sh- you know, we, all, we all want more data, but actually, are there things that people should do without waiting for the data? Magnus, well, on, on this particular issue about the role of women in production and, and writing.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, look. Actually, as it happens, I think the data is quite important. Oh, it because, is really, really because, w- because but I if we have to keep waiting to... for it, because yeah, no, I, I get that. And actually, Ofcom's Ofcom's done some good work actually um, uh, looking at uh, the composition of the workforce uh, of various broadcasters. And I think the interesting thing about that data is that everybody has an area to improve on, including Ofcom, I should have, by yeah.
3: the way. Yeah.
4: Um, uh, particularly on the gender
3: front, actually. I knew it'd be um,
4: uh, Well, uh, I mean, but, <laughs> but, but it's a, but it's a it's a collective problem. And actually, as it happens, ITV on gender equality is. is has a, has a pretty good story to tell. Um, uh, there, there are other issues uh, that, that ITV has to address, and, and we've got initiatives like Plus One, which is a recruitment uh, uh, drive internally around ethnicity, which is quite important to us. The other thing we are doing is, is a social partnership, which is working with all of you and producers uh, to try and say, actually, this is a partnership between us as a broadcaster. We can't do everything as a broadcaster because we're a broadcaster commissioner. We also need to work with producers, and this is a collective effort for all of us to say, what, what are we all doing? Uh, and when we commission programmes, uh, one of the things we've got more sensitive about are, are a lot of these issues around diversity in how we look at what programmes we commission, where we commission them from, who, what talents, uh, uh, what talent is involved, who, who are the directors, and so on. Uh, but that has to be a collective endeavour, I think, between the producers and the broadcasters. It can't just be the the broadcasters, in part because some you know some of these projects are brought to us. Quite a lot of the projects mm. are brought to us, yeah. uh, and, and we're then the commissioner, uh, and they're often f- semi or fully formed. So actually there needs to be an understanding on both sides as
0: to what we're looking for. Okay, quickly, Simon, uh, before we move on to the next one, yeah, so the anything to be said in defence of Ofcom's record on diversity?
3: I mean, this is the way I'm going to answer the question. So the first thing is, is, so diversity is incredibly important to Ofcom and in particular Sharon, it's one of the reasons I joined Ofcom, so as we have a number of initiatives, I thank you Magnus for the it's got, but the information, the analysis stuff is very important to us, things like Project Diamond, although I admit it's still got some way to go. I suppose one thing that jumps out at me is, so in our our invitation to comment, we had 19 responses, one from the Girl Guides, which actually pointed out that uh, quite a lot of the channels skew males, quite a lot of the children's channels skew males, particularly for the older children, Mm -hmm. the over 10s. So there's no problem with individual channels skewing male, but if you look at the whole offering, the whole mix, and you say there's a male skew, that might raise questions, that might say there's a market opportunity uh, to create stuff that... We, the, we can't imagine a world where we would regulate to insist where people skew. It kind of doesn't work like that. But I suppose what I would say is, if, if there is a gap, maybe that's one for the public service broadcasters to think about, because, in a sense, that's what PSB is about. I mean, you can't really ask the commercial sector to do that, because they're kind of commercial, but, you know, it's part of what PSB is. Okay, um,
0: I, I know Charles wanted to come in. There is a, a separate session, I think, uh, later today in, at 5 o'clock on children's media and diversity, and I think particularly from the issue about animation, uh, there's, there's a, a session tomorrow morning that may be of interest. Uh, let's go on now to our third question, um, which comes from Ollie Hyatt. Hi. Um, with domestic uh, investment in animation and live-action children's continuing to fall year on year, um, Do the panel now fully support the need for a contestable fund? And with the government spending review uh, likely to be brutal to anything other than the NHS uh, next year, where would they see the money coming from in the future should the contestable fund be deemed a success? Ben, I think since you're the man sort of running this, aren't you, so you should answer this question.
6: Uh, well, we're not running it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well. Which we were. Some I rashly thought you were. Um,
6: I, I, I should probably just take this opportunity... Thanks, Olly. You should probably take this opportunity to just give you as much of an update yeah, as I, sure. as I or, can. Yeah. Um, the fund you're all very familiar with. Uh, we're all waiting... For, uh, I'm waiting for the pen. I'm waiting to sort of snatch the pen from DCMS so that we can actually get into the detailed sort of guidelines planning um the as Margot sort of did my job for me actually because there is a that we 're going through the st- stages of government we expect that we will there 'll be a detailed policy paper out in august um that will allow us to start writing some guidelines we 'll need to do some recruitment um The fund will have to open on April 1st 2019 and for me as as an administrator of a fund already open means that ideally that's when we start distributing (coughs) funds and not when we start taking submissions in. So what we would like to do is have everything ready so that we can start communicating with uh, you all by the start of next year.
0: Right. Um, but can you tell us, in your discussion with DCMS, certain basics? Like, for instance, uh, would the content have to be free-to-air? Would the producer have had to have found somebody who was going to show it? I mean, these fairly I basic t- I'll, tell
6: you, I'll tell you what... Um, I'll go off script slightly. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I hope it will be mm. if it comes out the other side of the government um, process. Yeah intact. Um, yes, it will have to be free to air on first point of viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, DCMS is slightly more ambivalent about ancillary airings. Um, it will be for children and we hope young people up to the age of 18. Um, it will require an element of match funding, because it will only be able to bring 50% of the budget to the table. Uh, We are pushing for, and in a sort of detailed conversation, about there being a development element to it. I think that's very important. Um, I'm hoping that for us it will be quasi-automatic by which I mean we will not editorialize as a as the BFI so the decision the 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 unlocking of the funding will be a combination of strong response to the the fund's objectives in terms of additionality and Mm. plurality um, and a demonstration of Broadcaster partnership, so some of that needs to be worked out. But, but I think what I want to, what I'd like to sort of put everyone's mind at rest, if you like, that we are not planning to additionally editorialise.
0: Okay. Now, to, to Ollie's particular point, which is about what happens when the money runs out. So it's 60 million pounds over three years. It comes from money left over from the li- last license fee uh, round. Yeah. Um, I happened to be on the, the committee that advised John Whittingdale during the BBC Charter process. It was pretty clear to me this was a very personal idea of John Whittingdale. Actually, his idea was much more ambitious, so I think I can reveal, um, in terms of getting broadcast to have to run the stuff. <coughs> um, so, if you, know, if you haven't got a Whittingdale around in three years, is it ever going to happen again?
6: Our objective is to make it a success. And to make it a a kind of proven model, I mean, I'm quite sort of politically, small p politically sort of agnostic in this game, if you like. I think it's quite interesting that we as an administrator sort of are coming at it in a slightly kind of vanilla fashion. We're looking after, hopefully, a £60 million fund, and the only way to tackle a project like that is to make it work, and I think if it works... And working means that it proves a model. Now, for me, it will work if ITV, Channel 4, 5 engage with it, if we get the money out the door. Um, if the material is good, if we've actually spent the money, and then I think there's probably a very good case for... I mean, I'm definitely not going to sort of suggest whether or not the sh- where the money should come from on the other side of it, but I think our job and everyone in this room can help us do it if everyone wants it to continue on the other side mm. by, making it, by making it a success. My sense at the moment is that it, ca- it can definitely be a success and it's much needed.
0: Okay, I think obviously, Magnus, that poses a question for you: Is are you going to engage with this or not? In terms, of, is I, if somebody brings an idea, are you going to provide match funding to help it get through over the line and show it? Uh, well, there's,
4: there's a few things here. I mean, uh,
0: th- actually, one of the questions was, um, uh, I think, about market failure, and there is a market
4: failure, I think, in, in some aspects of originated UK kids, which is why we've got the fund. Uh, we were supportive of the fund uh, because we recognise that market failure. Now, we do invest uh, in original... What's the answer to my CITV. question, though? Are you going to the, an- the, answer, no, the answer to your question is very simple, yeah. which is we want the best content for CITV. So if people come to us with a project... Right. So you are open a, to an idea.
0: idea. You haven't got um, some sort of ideological problem with it You're You will treat these ideas on merit like any other... Pitch, will you?
4: C- completely and actually um, we want people to come to us with the best ideas for CITV and actually if we can find a way of uh, uh, funding them uh, with a bit of contribution from ITV potentially contribution from the fund secondary sales and so on then it is it is very much like uh, uh, another approach mm-hmm. but, with, uh, w- but with public funding to help get the project away because we want our channel to be the best channel it can be okay uh, Charles you wanted to come in there
5: yeah I, I, I was just listening to this sort of conversation about what would make it a success and I think for me it ties very much into the question that we were having previously about mm. diversity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also ties into the idea that we, we have a plurality of voices, which is what the Indie Club is about. It's saying that the regions and nations being part of what your criteria for success would be, yeah. would be crucial to the chances of it being successful. That it's about making sure that Absolutely. those unheard voices are heard. yeah, And, and that should be part of the, the, criterion. It, it seems, the criterion. it seems will be, it me, will be part in terms of, of
0: how. Yeah. Right. So you don't um, regard that as editorialising? Those are proper criteria. I
6: should—I mean, I should explain that—that's what I mean by as not, not editorialising. We'll—we'll have some criteria, and they'll be very strong. By the way, I mean, all our other funds carry targets around diversity, right. um, so I'd expect those to be extended. Okay. To this Thank you, Anna. From. I think you, you want to come in.
2: Yeah, I do. Um, first of all, I think that we should welcome the contestable fund. It's taken long enough to get there. And many people in this room are involved in in achieving that. So, obviously, we need to make it a success. Where the money comes from next, um, it has been floated quite often that it should come from the BBC licence fee. Um, And I think that that is not a good idea because all you're doing is reducing the amount of money in the marketplace um, and not increasing it. So wherever it comes from, it's got to be plus. And I think we need to spend as a a group as much time thinking about where the money might come from in the future as we did thinking about what the contestable fund was going to be. There are possible sources, but it's going to be very difficult to access them. But we need to have a strategy um, for alternative funding other than the licence fee. If we're going to go on, and we need, having got this far, for God's sake, we must go on into the next stage.
0: Okay, thanks, Anna. We must move on to a a, a separate, but I think equally intriguing initiative. Uh, Tony Collingwood wants to ask about this. Tony?
6: Hi there. there. Um, I guess my question is primarily to Simon from Ofcom. uh, I know you guys are currently kind of stress testing the PSB's commitment to kids' TV with uh, the spend that they're giving and the number of hours they're uh, putting into it. Can you um, maybe tell us where you're at with that, what challenges you've had, and when we can expect the good news? Because it does seem as if this is the final part of the jigsaw when it comes to having money from a contestable fund being matched by channels. Are those channels going to be matching it, and are you going to um, bare your teeth and get them to uh, come to the table?
3: Simon? OK, so uh, thank you for the question. So. Um, I mean, a lot of people may know this already. So in our PSB reviews uh, in previous years, we have noted and uh, have shown concern about declining investment in children's programmes. There was the, the amendment to the DEA 2017. Uh, you know, many, Baroness Benjamin and many others behind that, very, very committed to children's broadcasting and child protection.
0: I think the point is, this is something that came very much from the industry. This is something the industry wanted. It got done by
3: Parliament. Is Ofcom going to, uh, you know, announce soon what it's going to do about it? Okay, so uh, we will be publishing an update before the summer, which means before Parliament rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a kind of our view of this is it's not kind of a one-shot thing where we can just solve the problem. It's, it's kind of not like that. We can't just kind of like solve the problem and it'll all be done. I think it's a continuing dialogue with the industry. I think it's a, it's a continuing conversation. We have a range of powers. So we have our broad PSB powers. We have powers to make channels prominent, which we're also reviewing at the moment. We have kind of a range of cha- powers, but the point is, as was pointed out last night in the brilliant kind of address, you know, children's behaviours are changing a lot. Children's wants are changing a lot. Uh, children's needs, of course, matter as well. And that's kind of what PSBs are about. So it's not just about wants, it's about needs. But in a sense, you know, there, there, is, a lo- there is a lot of change going on right. that um, has been uh, managed. OK, Anna, what do you make of that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, uh, I think it's... A, it's um, it is a bit unclear, Simon, if I may say so. <laughs> I don't mind that. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, you have got teeth.
3: So, so hopefully, hopefully.
0: I, I tell you what. Look, we had a, we had a CMF event on on this earlier. I think a few months ago. And the point I made was, it, it feels to me, is that actually Ofcom's nervous about doing anything more to the PSBs than it's already done. Uh, and that actually, you know, where will this stuff be shown that you might ask them to re- require them to do? And we then got into a debate about would it be on ITV Kids? But that's not a PSB. Let's remind ourselves, the PSBs are really only, in this context... BBC you know, main BBC channels, ITV Channel Four, Channel Five. You can't, at the moment, as I understand it, force Magnus to run something on ITV Kids. Correct me, is that right for you guys? Did you, do you do agree on this?
3: Okay, so we cannot force Magnus to run something on ITV Kids. So just to take the points in turn. So uh, I think I take Anna's point that it's unclear. Hopefully, it will be clearer in a short number of weeks. But I take the point that it is currently unclear. I think that is f- fair comment. We're not at all nervous. We are delighted by this power. We think it's incredibly important. In a way, I would say, kind of news and kids are the heart of PSB. So you could say that kids' news is the heart of the heart of PSB. But you know, kids, kids is fundamentally—it's fundamental to public service broadcasting. I I mean, I don't think we're nervous. I think the bottom line is, you know, television went through the kind of multi-channel revolution where it went from five channels to 200 channels. The broadcasters solved that by building portfolios, by better marketing by EPG regulation, by all sorts of methods. We are currently going through the kind of broadband revolution. And together, we need to work and solve that and do what's best for children. In that, you know, We are part of that, but we're not a whole solution. Okay. Magnus, what's your take on this? <sighs> um, uh, look, this is quite
4: difficult. I mean, we, we, you can't regulate a business model into existence, unfortunately, from our point of view. So CITV is a, is a purely commercial channel. Uh, we, we live or die uh, by our ability to make money. Uh, Parliament, on the one hand, has restricted considerably our ability to make money from that channel because of advertising revenue uh, being restricted to certain categories we can't take. At the same time, as Simon says, you know, viewing children's viewing is changing fundamentally uh, and uh, a lot of the evidence that Ofcom published last November shows the extent to which children prefer Netflix, YouTube and so on, other forms of consuming content. That's really hard from a commercial point of view. And as Simon said, one of the things that's happened uh, if you take a broad view of where commercial PSB uh, has gone is that as a country, what we've decided to do is say what we want is a competitive media market. We want as much competition as possible. And by the way, in our case now, that includes competing with Facebook, uh, with Netflix, uh, with YouTube. Um, those are our competitive set now, uh, uh, along with Channel 4 and the BBC. Uh, it's a global market for us now. And imposing an obligation on ITV as a commercial company doesn't make it any e- easier to fund that. And the truth is, the value, as, as competitions uh, spread out in the, in the UK, the value of the PSB licence has gone down enormously. Uh, in, and actually, where, we've, where we negotiated our licences on renewal in 2014, what Ofcom and government said to us is what we really want from you is national international news, current affairs, production outside London, the indie quota, uh, and regional news. That that's your that those, those are the things we want in return for the benefits that you get. Right. Uh, and it's it's hard to then legislate and say actually we also want you to do a
0: load of other well, things which aren't but, which, but which, but which, which you can't fund. I mean, I look, I I sympathise with that, but actually Parliament made a decision which is I know we said all that stuff, but actually we want this as well.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, can I? Can, can I just slightly just flow from give what... Mag- give Mag- us one is more saying. take on it, because we've got other stuff to I'm go sorry, to. I do,
0: yeah. I, I do, I do owe a, a response to that. Mag- no, it's...
3: I mean, we'll flow from what Mr is saying. And the first thing is, it is... If you look at the data, if you look at our children's media literacy work, it is the case that children are drawn to and interested in YouTube and in Netflix and go there. That is true. I think we, and I think it would be helpful to understand in more detail what it is children want from YouTube uh, and kind of, you know, wh- why they're going there. I think that's right. true. On the other hand, it's PSP's job not always to go with the grain. You know, we have a range of PSPs in this country that do a range of jobs, and it's not always their job to go with the grain of what children are doing or what children want, and actually think about what children need and think. Always, not always be pulled by the market. So I think there's a complex... It's about reinvention, really. Okay.
0: Uh, John Kent has got uh, what will actually be our, our last question this session
3: before I open up to the floor later. Uh, John? Are we oblivious to the real dangers of social media? And does the panel think that the government policy on online safety is really just a load of hot air?
0: Who'd like to go first on this? Um, Anna, have you got a view on this? Um,
2: Well, we heard what the the government had to say and... um,
0: And what Michael Rosen had to say. And what Michael
2: Rosen had to say, indeed. Um, And I have to say that Michael Rosen was a tad more entertaining. Um, But, um, no, to to be serious about this, Yes, I think rather late in the day, we are waking up to the dangers of um, the internet um, and the need for protection, particularly of children. And a whole load of things have come together. um, And so the the powers that be are also taking notice. Um, But whether or not the sort of all working together concept that we got from the minister is actually the answer, and whether the CEOs of the large companies um, are going and channels are going to listen to that, I'm not sure. I mean, I think we may need to be a little more aggressive in our attitude. And the other thing I would say is that I think we've also got to, again, be balanced and don't over-constrict, and by so doing, lose um, the freedom of expression and the way of thinking that original thinking, particularly thinking by children, that could come through the internet.
0: I suppose there's one direct example of, of policy on the internet compared to policy on broadcasting, which is the issue about obesity. I mean, the government statement recently talked about tighter advertising restrictions on broadcasting and on uh, online. We know they have the mechanism to do that in broadcasting, but I'm still not clear that they have the mechanism to do that online. In other words, is you know, it's our old friend the le- the level playing field here. Mm. I mean, Simon, what's what's to view on this? So,
3: uh, I'm going to come at it. So, so firstly, I thought Michael was excellent last night, and I sort of went along expecting to see some poetry and some humour, but what I actually got was a manifesto for the reinvention of regulation, which is a bit of a shock for me, uh, working <laughs> regulation, but it was sort of fascinating. But I suppose the one thing I would say is actually, I think there was some interesting wisdom in there because I think in the online world, this kind of self-regulatory collaborative things, actually quite an interesting concept. I think it's quite valid. Although I would point out to Michael, I think Michael drew the distinction between kind of government control versus self-regulation. There is something in between, which is kind of, kind of independent sort of regulation, which is kind of what we do. So it's not a straight choice between government control or self, but I think there were actually there were some quite interesting concepts in there.
0: Let me offer you one personal experience. I was the first Ofcom representative on the UK Council for Child Internet Safety. Uh-huh. Uh, and we sat across the table with, you know, the Hollywood and, the, you know, the big beasts came in, the tech companies. Uh, Apple sent their lowest possible PR person from their lowest possible contractor the, the, the minister regularly said, Bring me the head of Apple. And they would say, We're well, sorry, he's not available. And, and it was quite clear that they were playing a different game, which was, We're going to negotiate with the EU. We're not going to get involved with national governments. Now, they've had to move from that position, haven't they? I mean, if you look what's happened in Germany, Facebook has had so much pain about hate crime and things that they've actually had to enforce things. So, isn't the message that they really will do things if you force them to? But if you accept that, you know, we're global businesses and it's all very complicated, you won't get things done. It, I mean, Charles, do you have a view on this at, at all?
5: I, I concur with most of what you just said at the end there, because I think in the end it's, it's about to what extent do you have incentives and disincentives, and where the disincentives are, how do you apply them? Um, I mean, there are already lots of laws that are in place. So uh, to my mind, it isn't just about legislation. Mm. The reality is that if you look at Sexual Offences Act, if you look at the freedom from harassment, if you look at child protection, those legal levers are already there. So the truth comes down to how capable or willing are you to exercise them? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, part of me kind of looks at it and it, there's a cynical element that, in me that kind of says that maybe it's because kids don't vote. Because, you know, we, th- there's a, there's, there was a big issue about the right to be forgotten.
6: Yeah.
5: And something was done. Yeah. Whether we like it or don't like it, something was done because there was some will behind that.
0: Okay. Uh, Magnus, perhaps a word on the obesity issue? And um, well, look, or I mean, there's, the there's H, a, HFSS, I mean, there's as one must probably put it. A, there's,
4: a, there's a profound need for a level playing field, and it's, it's not just about regulations, it's about tax, um, uh, where, you know, got the traditional broadcasters in the UK, the commercial broadcasters, paying hundreds of millions of pounds in tax a year, uh, competing against people who pay virtually nothing. Uh, but I think on online regulation, I mean, a, every government in Europe is worrying away at how do we control these platforms, including and the Commission, slightly late to, the, late to that game in some ways. Um, and it's not, it's not just just a question of laws. Uh, it's a question, firstly, actually, of transparency. What is going on? Uh, you know, do we know what adverts these, the, the platforms are serving? Do we know who's seeing those adverts? Do we know who's seeing the content? There's a whole set of things which you take for granted in, in broadcasting because you have clarity from Barb and elsewhere about what's going on. There's none of that clarity online. Uh, even the platforms themselves don't entirely know who they're serving the advertising to. So there's a set of issues there which you have to solve as a prior question. Then you've got the question of who is, who is the overseer Uh, or are these platforms simply setting their own rules and then marking their own homework? Uh, You've then got a question of who is setting the rules, what are those rules, are they in primary legislation? Increasingly, it looks to us as though they should be, because the truth is, as you say, uh, on HFSS, children are all uh, moving very rapidly away from linear television to online, uh, and the government's uh, uh, thinking is, let's have a a 9pm watershed, which which isn't the right response. It's a 20th-century response to a 21st-century problem.
0: Okay.
2: HFSS. Sorry, HFS, the, the ban on advertising to kids hasn't had the slightest impact on kids' obesity.
0: No, I mean, if you look at if you look at and, and what effect has it had on the <coughs> funding of, of, of children's content in any way, Anna, do you think it has?
2: Considerable, on... I yeah. mean, if, if you think about the kind of output, original output that um, ITV children's had before the ban, yes, it's yeah. had a huge impact. Yeah.
0: OK, I think we should open it up. We've got uh, 10 minutes left. I think, first of all, did, did any of the questioners who I uh, didn't come back to, partly because I was trying to get through so many issues, have uh, any follow-ups or uh, any, any further points? That's, uh, that's John, yourself, Tony, uh, Ollie, I think, or Emily. Uh, anything you wanted to raise as a result of what you heard? OK, good, fine. Uh, let's wait, open it up then. Uh, anyone, I think, for instance, we haven't heard uh, from, for instance, people like... Like PACT because uh, Charles representing the indie group there. Uh, any, any, go ahead.
5: Thank you, Rosina Robson from from PACT. I, d- I had a question for for Magnus at, at ITV, just following up on some of the debate about the Ofcom um, children's content review about the the opportunities um, for, for ITV and, and the other PSBs around boosting your online um, presence and, and generating online revenues and from from children's content. Um, you've got some fantastically successful brands um, on, on your, your channel and online. And you talk about being in competition with, um, with, with the big platforms. And it seems that your new um, chief exec has got ideas for a digital strategy. So I wondered if you had some comments around the, the, the scope to develop your um, digital offer and, and the children's content
3: attached to that.
5: Sure. Um,
4: So, so look, we're investing quite a lot in uh, in ITV Hub and particularly the kids area in ITV Hub, Um, but the the economics of that are quite challenging, um, and for the simple reason that um, it it really works on box set economics. Uh, And uh, we're just commissioning, for example, an animation called Robozuma, which we're commissioning jointly with Netflix um, and uh, launching, I think, later this year on on the linear channel. Uh, We'll have catch up rights, but we won't necessarily have uh, uh, Svod rights, Uh, and that's the deal. Uh, that's the nature of competition in this market now uh, that you have to work out how you can get those properties away uh, on your on, on your linear channel and on your catch up service uh, and then figure out how you can have a, a deep archive and the economics of that are very challenging on very high value content now we do some of it in in ITV uh, studios uh, but we do it. Tend to, we've tended to do it jointly with uh, with other investors who particularly want the box set rights, the back end, uh, and, and it's really hard. It's the, the risk involved in making that investment just by ourselves and buying all of those rights is really, really significant. Uh, and so we tend to share the rights. And because of this, glo- the global competition I talked about, uh, there are other players like Netflix and others uh, who uh, want to get those back end rights. So we're, look, we're wearing away at this, I'd say, uh, but it's but it's tricky because we're not the only player in the market. There are of other people who have got very deep pockets, who, crucially, in Netflix's case, are able to amortise that investment across 150 territories across the world, and the Robozuma example is, is, is testimony to that, so it's, it's difficult, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's impossible, but we need to worry at the economics of that,
0: and it it's very risky. I think a number of broadcasters have gone public, I think the chief executive of Channel 4 last week, <laughs> talking about you know, the threat to, to budgets because of the impact of Netflix on commissioning. It, it, does that apply so much in, in children's media area? Well, I mean, if you look at RoboZuma
4: in a, in a funny way, it, it's actually enabled us to do it. Uh, because we've got a, effectively someone who's, uh, uh, who's got a platform for 150 countries around the world who wants to buy this content, wants to commission it from ITV, uh, and actually we're able to do something which brings it to UK children, so
0: it's an original animation. But isn't there a bit of a tradition that the people you go in with your partners sometimes ending up taking the exclusive rights to this content?
4: Well, I mean, that, that, but that's the deal you have to do, and so the, the alternative is not to do it at all. Um, so, um, uh, you know, it is going to appear on, children, on, te- on children's television in the UK, uh, Uh, It is going to appear on our catch-up service. From my point of view, that's a plus, because it's it's high-end originated UK animation, uh, and we've had to do certain things to get it away. But this is the reality of, effectively, uh, UK players, national players, and it's not just about the UK, it's, you can see it in, in other continental European countries as well, uh, competing against global players. It's an, it's an asymmetric form of competition, mm. and it takes us back to the whole level playing field question and a whole host of other issues. Uh, we're doing what we can to, to, to play in that system, but it does require some compromises along the way.
3: Okay. I mean, okay. could I add one thing? Yeah, I mean, so it's not up to me to tell Magnus how to run his business and they're a commercial business, and, you know, but I think one thing I think is important just to add is that, you know, we can assess kind of children's uh, content or children's production in isolation, but I do just think that bringing the next generation of children into a brand, and I know ITV does it well with its family, Programming and I think bringing families together and that kind of collective viewing is a very important part of what broadcasting can do. And, and it's very, but I do also think that just bringing that next generation into brands can have a kind of halo effect, which you might, one might not capture with the kind of. But again, you know, you, you guys are running a commercial business, but I think that's the important factor, you know.
0: Okay. Uh, I think we've got time for one or two more questions. Uh, can, can I offer an opportunity for anyone? I can see a hand there.
1: Just a quick question, really, about
5: some of the complexity of how the regulation of the PSBs might work. Is it not the case that, it, that, that within the spirit of the amendment to the Act, there was the idea that material for children could be counted on a non-regulated channel, which you haven't done before, so you can count, it As as the place where this content goes, but the regulation is actually aimed would be aimed at ITV1, which is the only place you can regulate. Is there a mechanism, do you think, for us for that to be able to happen?
3: Well, so the first thing I would say—the simple answer—is that is precisely uh, correct, Greg. And a job in the Ofcom legal team is waiting for you. So, <laughs> no, I think no, I think that's exactly that's exactly right. So I we can take. Big. No, I'll no. Because, no they, they run the place, so they're yeah, <laughs> important. But the, the, the point is, you're absolutely right. So we can take into account the broad range. In, in that sense, I think it was well drafted. We can take into account the broad range of uh, things that ITV offers. So, again, but but in a sense, the sanction. Uh, we can only place on the public service channel, which is ITV One, because the other channels are classified as commercial. Uh, so I think I think you've got that exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, it, but it is also important to say, and I've said this before, we have a, a broader range of powers in relation to PSP. We can also use, and we use them in combination. So our powers into PSP in general, prominence powers, etc. But yes, that, okay. you're, you're right about
0: that. Now, final question is from me to you the, on the floor. It goes to the contestable fund, with, with Ben in mind here could I have a show of hands those are producers who would be interested in pitching to the contestable fund when it goes ahead anyone want to get a show of hands on that okay anyone a producer who is not interested in pitching to the contestable fund okay good Good, okay. So we're, we really wish you Lots a lot of business. luck for this, Ben, and we reserve the right to complain about any decisions you make. <laughs> yes. um, it's my lot in life. Or, <laughs> or indeed, anybody you choose to make a decision as well.
6: <laughs> well, there'll be job ads going up in the, uh, in the near future, I should think.
0: Okay, yeah, so. good. We'll thanks work. very much indeed. Now we've we'll come to the end of the session. Um, thanks for coming and enjoy your aftermath.